Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, we're talking about making cold email work in B2B SaaS. But before we dive into that conversation, I'd like to talk about a couple things. Number one is there are two exclusive episodes of Startups for the Rest of Us. And these are only available if you join the mailing list. The episode titles are Eight Things You Must Know When Launching Your SaaS and Ten Things You Should Know As You Scale Your SaaS. So they're at two different points in in kind of the lifespan of a SaaS app. So head to startupsfortherestofus.com if you're interested in hearing those. Both of those are solo episodes with me giving, you know, eight things in one and 10 things in the other about things that I've learned and observed really in my 15, 20 years of entrepreneurship. The other thing I wanted to mention, and this is not an advertisement, but it's just something I wanted to call out that I think could be a useful resource, and I've been recommending it to folks in the community. It's dynamitejobs.com. So this is a place to post remote jobs, and there's all types of categories, anything that you would need from developers to VAs to apprentices to SEO to paid ads. And you can specify time zones and salary and all that kind of stuff. So, And in addition to it being a job board, uh, they also offer a paid recruitment service that some startups that I am invested in or involved in are using. And it's, it's a really good deal for the money and they do a bunch of the upfront legwork. And this was a point where I got with Drip where I was spending so much of my time hiring that I wanted to find someone who wasn't the typical contingency recruiter where it's like, I'm going to hire a developer for 100K and you're going to pay him fifteen twenty thousand dollars because it's based on their first year salary. I couldn't afford that as a bootstrapper. And so, you know, what Dan and Ian are, are creating here is is really a service for for bootstrappers. It's for people who who can't afford those those high fees. And from what I here, they're, they're having, you know, really good, really good results from it. So again, not a paid advertisement, but I always love what Dan and Ian are up to. And Dynamite Jobs is coming on my radar more and more. And I wanted to point that out to you in case you are thinking about hiring, I would be adding it to my rotation of the, uh, you know, job boards that I post positions to. And with that, we're going to dive into my conversation. It's with Damian Thompson. And if you haven't heard of Damian, he's the co-founder of LeadFuse with Justin McGill, and he's the founder of VP Sales. Dot co. His big thing is about scaling sales teams. I'm going to read from his Twitter bio. He says, building high-performing sales and sales ops teams for B2B software and service companies. And he's been himself a salesperson or a sales consultant for going on 20 years, maybe a little bit more. And I've known Damien for almost 10 years. We talk a little bit in the interview about how we met. And it was via a cold email that he sent, which is, which is pretty apropos for this. But he has extensive experience both crafting cold emails, sending cold emails, testing them, and closing deals, as well as consulting with software and service companies on how they should architect their sales process. And, you know, his specialty is kind of early stage to eight figures. I know he works a lot in the get from seven figures to eight range, but Damien has a lot to share. And I hope you enjoy our conversation today on making cold email work in B2B SaaS. Damien Thompson, sir, thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. Excellent. So, you know, I already mentioned in your intro, you've been doing a lot of sales for a lot of years, sir. Part of that is is cold email. And I'm glad you reminded me, I had completely forgotten that the way you and I met was you sent me a cold email. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So two things. One thing I love to say is I think we were in Bangkok about maybe four or five years ago at a DC, the DC BKK event. And you were speaking, I think you're doing the stair step thing. And uh, you said something at the stage about I was your go-to sales guy because I've been selling for decades. So you've you aged me really well. So yeah, I've been selling for a long time, cold email especially. So yeah, so about when I first launched, I, mean, I spent 15 odd years 
building sales teams and doing lead gen in enterprise sales, semantic, turn micro around the world doing that and got pretty good at prospecting, obviously. And then really took to cold email in the early you know, 2010, 2011 kind of timeframe. And, you know, it was just starting to I kind of burn the suit and tie in 2011 and moved to Asia, try to figure this stuff out. And you got my radar and you know, Dan and Ian from Tropical MBA got my radar. And I was looking to build my first business, my uh, content marketing agency, which I knew nothing about content marketing, but decided to sell it. Uh, and I saw you actually had, this was when you were running Hittail and uh, you had an ad on Odesk for like content writers, essentially. And so I, you know, reached out to some people that we shared in the same circles and tried to get an introduction and that didn't work out. So then I said, whatever, I'm just going to send an email. But, you know, it was a cold email. And from that, you became a client of Lynchpin. And then you actually became a client of Demand Genesis as well. And then an investor in Leadfuse. And so that cold email has been very impactful on my life. Yeah, totally. Uh, I remember you you and your team were writing blog content for Hittail. And I think you did some for Drip at some point. And yeah, we go way back, man. It's cool. So today we are, that's what we're talking about. We're going to be, yeah, I think I probably titled this episode, How to Make Cold Email Work with SaaS or in SaaS, something to that effect. I actually got an email from a listener and right now he runs a SaaS app. He says, it bootstrapped as well. He said, I'm looking at investing in two SDRs plus a marketing person to run an outbound sales campaign that will run for at least six months. It's pricey to do, but I just feel as though it is the right thing for us. I come across a decent number of venture-backed startups which have done this with success, but I'm wondering if there are bootstrappers out there who have done it. The recent survey you ran, which is the state of independent SaaS, seems to indicate there are because there was a lot of folks saying cold email was working for them. So that's kind of the reasons that I the reason that I called you on, and we don't have to just answer this question because I know you have a lot of thoughts around this, but you want to kick us off and talk about like, he's wondering like, does this work for bootstrappers? You know, can you hire a, an SDR or two? I mean, he has, he has revenue, probably tens of thousands MRR. So he has the budget to do it. But talk to me about what you're seeing out there. Yeah. So a couple of things. I mean, so yes, bootstrappers can do it. I've done it. I've been a bootstrapper, you know, raised a little bit of money at Leadfuse, but you know, prior to that was doing the rest of it and, you know, wasn't you know, changed the world kind of a raise. And so you can, it just comes into where you're going to spend your money. Right. And so I think that this is the thing that, so I love cold email. I think it's very powerful. I say, you know, one of the reasons why I love B2B sales, especially B2B software or service sales, kind of big ticket sales is that I'm in more control. It's one of the real control as a sales rep. You know, if you're in a kind of high transaction, you know, SaaS, you know, kind of business, you know, one of these VC backed kind of, you know, fast growing businesses where it's all processed out and everything's just, you're basically a kind of intake form with legs, right? You're just kind of doing these things they tell you to do. But the reality is that you don't have any real control you're waiting on leads. And so you're always complaining about the leads coming in and, or this is not working or the event or whatever. And so with Outbound, you're in control, right? So you decide, hey, if I can define who my target market is and the better I can do that, the better, and I'm willing to do the work, then I can actually go to them, right? Because most likely they have, if you define that persona well, they probably share the same problems you solve with the other people that you solve problems with. They're just not actively looking to solve that problem right now. And so getting in front of them is 98% of the people aren't looking for an active solution right now. So it's a huge part of the market. And so I love it for that reason. One of the things that people do, especially lovely bootstrapper people, is that we look for the cheap ways out, right? We'll spend hours to save $10 on a monthly subscription charge or whatever, or we'll find the cheapest way to do something because, you know, money catches bullets, right? It gives us the ability to, to grow. And so instead of spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on paid ads, you know, Facebook ads, or whatever, or whatever the other kind of lead mechanism would be, we try to do things like this. And so can it work? 100%. See it happen all the time. I've got clients that work for, you know, every day. However, here's the caveats. The problem is generally 
when people go in to do cold email, especially the ones that say, hey, I'm not sure this is going to work or hey, it doesn't work for me. It's not about the mechanism, right? It's not about the actual cold email versus whatever other kind of tactic you want to use. It's that they don't understand their market well enough. Because in order for, to rise above all the noise, you know, just the amount of emails out there right now, is you really have to kind of punch someone in the face a little bit. And the way to do that is, is to get straight to the point about what matters to them. It's not about who you are or your company. or It's not even about being clever and doing all those silly little number three, you know, are you trapped under a boulder kind of nonsense. It's just about saying, hey, do you know the person you can help? And do you know the two biggest problems you can solve for them? And if you can, it gets it's pretty straightforward. The challenge is people don't know that a lot of times. And so they're talking about, you'll hear all the time, like, why you? Well, on time and under budget or because we are the XYZ, the sales force for HR platforms or whatever it happens to be which is not a reason people buy, right? And so they don't have a good enough understanding of their market, and that's the challenge. Got it. And so the people who, where this works, and let's let's really focus on B2B SaaS, because that's, that's the majority of the audience here. I mean, when it works for B2B SaaS, you're saying you have to understand the market, which is, of course, I mean, if I'm going to run ads and send people to a landing page, if your headline's crap, you're not going to convert people either, right? So understanding the market, once you do that, then like, what do you do? Like, how do you translate that into an email? Like, what types of emails are working today? Yeah, I, mean, I can give you a pretty good framework, but I just want to point that you're 100% correct. And so but it's interesting. I was talking to a client today, actually, about this. A B2B SaaS company sells the kind of hospitals and kind of healthcare networks, doing about half a million a year, about 600,000 in ARR. You know, so doing well on these email leads. But as we're going through the process to get this set up, it's clear he doesn't really know his market. So he's done a lot of the inbound smaller deals. He's trying to go up market to you know, he's got probably a handful of enterprise customers. And he's trying to go more up there. And so when we're talking about, okay, well, who is the person in the organization that is involved in this decision that's not the person you're talking to, right? The other people, the IT manager, or the head of data or whatever. And what are their priorities? And it became very clear he didn't know. So it's not, it's not just a foregone conclusion that, hey, if you have some success, you're at 50 grand a month MRR that you're going to know your market that well, right? Because it's, it's different, especially when you're kind of waiting for people to come to you. So I think this is, again, why I love Outbound so much is that, especially in the earlier days, you can use this as market development, product development. You need to know this. Like you said, like your ads, your content, your SEO, like you, you need to know how your customers are talking about the problems you solve. And that lever has to be pulled somehow in your sales conversations and your marketing materials and everything. So it's very important to do. It's just that people a lot of times give up too, too fast on a cold email because they don't see the results they, they expect. And you're going to get an email too from an angry person because where did you get my email address from? So can it work? Sure. Here's what I tell people. A couple things. Long-term campaigns, these days it's about omni-channel. So it's about multiple touches from multiple areas. So actually what's together a sequence today. It's eight steps or actually seven steps over 10 days or 10 business days over two weeks. And it's a mix of LinkedIn kind of connection requests, cold email, two phone calls are in there as well. And then kind of on the third email, it's a video. And so you can get real tactical about that stuff, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is at the core of the message. And so the message needs to be, if you know the two biggest personas you serve, and you know their two biggest problems that you can help solve, right? You can write great cold emails. And so the kind of format is this, and I'm going to give away this secret and if I was going to use it. But the good news is that it doesn't matter. This is not a trick or a hack like the old breakthrough email stuff. It's, let's just say, do you have any idea? Well, pick something else. So what were the two biggest problems that Drip solved for people? Well, I'll throw this out and you can tell me if this is, if this is right. But it's, we allowed them to communicate or stay in touch with their email list for number one. And number two... 
We allowed them to see what their how their customers were interacting with their emails and to be able to keep essentially profiles, right? It wasn't just an email address, but if they clicked a link, you could tag them as something. So there was there was knowing your customer and then there was also communicating with your customer. Right. So I mean, to me, you know, I think one of the big things that you got right at Drip was this idea of heavy automation or, you know, kind of workflow automation in the sequence when it, when it wasn't cool when no one else was really doing it. Right. And so well, you had to go to Pardot or HubSpot or something, you know, a thousand hour a month kind of tool in order to do that. But that all feds that thing. And so this is a best for example, like if all you do is talk about those features, sure, you'll get some people that want to talk about the features, but that's not the issue. The real value is because of that, because I can trigger an email when someone lands on a specific sales page. Because I can do, you know, because I have that insight with what they, the behaviors my customers are having, I get to understand my customers more. And as I understand them more, I get to sell them what they want. All right. And so that's the value. Right? And that's the value I want to talk about. And so let's just say we'll use that then. So, and then the you know, second one, whatever it happens to be, here's the formula, no matter who's listening, you figure out what those two problems are that you solve in your customer's eyes, not your eyes, in their eyes, in their language. And we'll just call them A, B for now. Email one is very straightforward, super short, no fluff. Don't use three words when one word will do. Don't thank them for their time. Don't tell them that, you know, I don't want to waste your time by wasting your time. So just get straight to the point. And the point is, in talking to other CIOs, if that's your territory, in your case, maybe, in talking to other marketing directors, the thing they tell us they're frustrated the most about their current tool is A and B. Which of those is for you? And that's it. That's your email. Don't expect a huge response. You probably might get 0% reply rate on that. But what we want to do is say, send that out. Then email two will be, okay, if your problem is the problem A, we talked about last email, here's a free resource for you to help solve that problem. And the third email is, hey, if your problem was problem B, here's a free resource to help solve that problem. And the fourth email is, hey, maybe we can help you solve the problem. Why don't we talk? It works gangbusters if you've got the right person and the right problem. And that's what you have to have. And so you don't, you can overthink this stuff and get really crazy. And you do, and because you want to get even, once you have to start having success, you want to get even more success. But again, it comes down to, do you actually know why your customers are buying? And is it important to them? And we see this now, especially like I'm a geek about software. And I love all the no code stuff, all the rest of it. But you know, we're building a lot of stuff that doesn't matter right now, right? Which is cool, you know, it's fun, but that doesn't last forever. Right, you have to have a real reason. The customers have to have a reason to, to engage with you. If he's at the point where he's thinking about hiring people, then he's got a lot of it figured out. He probably just needs to kind of dot the I's and cross the T's. And this kind of leads into the second problem, which is people hiring sales reps too quickly, especially technical founders want to get sales off their plate. And so they bring people in without fully formed processes. You know, I kind of talk about, like, especially when I'm talking to engineers, like, would you have a code base that was yeah, you know, maybe you skipped every third line and then you just expected someone to come in and just fix it for you. Just do it. Just, just figure it out. That's not what teammates do. That's not what employees do. Employees come in and work a process you give them, especially in sales. And so this idea that you're going to find this unicorn service provider that's going to do it or this unicorn person that's going to come off the street and do this for you, it's just very rare that happens. So in almost all cases, same way when you write the code or you're doing your content marketing or you're doing sales, the founders should drive it first and they should figure it out because you should have an understanding. Right? You should have a kind of understanding of a framework of here's what's working, here's what's not working, here's what resonates with our customers, here's what doesn't resonate. Now let's get better at it. Right? Now I've got a full-time person that can focus on it, so they should be better, cool, but I've got an understanding of kind of what's working. Yeah, so you're kind of saying you need to already have a working process in order to 
bring someone in, right? Unless you bring in like an expert. I mean, like like yourself, obviously, you're, you're the type of person that has done and seen so many of these that you would work with a customer, a SaaS app or, or whatever to develop that process, right? Yeah, that's what I do. So I come into B2B software companies and say, hey, the beginning is always consulting 101, right? Give me your watch and I'll tell you what time it is. You know, so but I have to figure all that out. But once we do that, you know, we craft some ideas. And a lot of it's just me being kind of a, you know, tough love, right? Telling them they're wrong, right? The, what they're saying doesn't make sense or, you know, that it's not enough. So I think April's pretty good at this too, about this idea of almost like the Toyota 5 wise kind of thing, right? In sales, especially, we put these kind of happy ears on. We hear what we want to hear because it's a tough job. And so we don't always get so, we need to be a little more cynical, a little more, not mean spirit or anything, but just a little more mistrusting of what we hear or thinking we've got to figure it out. And so a lot of times that means really pushing to, to get that to the deeper core of what we do. But yeah, so if you can figure that out, and, and again, it doesn't have to be something crazy difficult because it really should draft everything. A lot of times what I find is it's because these people that are having some success, they get away from the things that made success. Like they're not talking to their customers as much anymore. And so they don't really have these understandings of who they're talking to and how they're talking to them. But that's really what it is. It's just about understanding your market. And if you understand your market, crafting some tools to get that in front of them. Yep. Hey, so I have a kind of a rule of thumb of like the lowest, lowest end annual contract value. Founders sometimes ask me, and but this is see, this is a couple years old, right? Because I haven't I haven't run Drip since on its own since 2016. But I remember saying, man, if we can get annual contract values up to five thousand a year, that's like the bottom bottom end where I would try cold email. I'm curious. Again, that's years old. So, what is your rule of thumb here in 2020? You know, if if someone comes and says, hey, I have thousand bucks a year annual contract value, I'm guessing you're like, no, don't do that. But where is that number where you start to feel like it works? It's a great question, and I'm going to give the horrible answer of it depends, but you're right. It's in that kind of, I say three to 5K generally in that, in that kind of space, but it also really depends on like your cash position, right? So earlier in your in the journey, you might be willing to have it cost a little bit more, right? Like ha- have a lower, because you're figuring a lot of stuff out. And like you said earlier, if you figure this out, this should help all the rest of your marketing as well. So it might be worth it for that. But when you get bigger, then no, and especially if the idea is to have someone else do it. Right. So can you make it look profitable, quote unquote, on paper if you're the one doing all the work? Sure. You're paying yourself that hourly wage. But to hire someone to come in, especially in a role like that, a BDR, SDR kind of role where they're going to be a little more junior in the sales rep and they're going to need a lot of handholding, a lot, a lot of management, a lot of kind of oversight, a lot of help, a lot of coaching. And so I, another thing I would tell people is you think you're going to get sales off your plate by hiring a team. Really, all you're doing is just transferring it from sales work to sales management, right? So leadership of a team. And if you have them come in and you don't have a lot of these answers, they're not going to have success. And this is what I see all the time, where someone say, oh, I just can't seem to hire salespeople. Well, that's ludicrous, right? I mean, yes, it's hard, right? But there's frameworks to do it, but it's hard. But the real problem is they bring them in and just kind of throw them to the wolves and just say, hey, you're going to get paid a lot of money if you're successful. Just go figure it out. But that's not how employees work, right? It's not how it team works. It teams work. And also you're sending all these signals. And I see this a lot too, you know, when people are trying to do this too early, they just don't want to do this anymore. And so they're trying to go hire you know, a couple of SDRs or accounting execs or whatever. And they try to find find ways to cut corners like, oh, I'll try to find someone who's commission only. I'm hearing it again right now because, oh, COVID, there's so many people volleyed off that want to do it. Even if you can find someone that's good, who's willing to do it, which is going to be hard, you are sending the absolute wrong signals to them. You're saying, hey, I don't trust in my process, in the product, in, the, in this, or you, in order to actually commit to this as a real role. So if you figure it out, cool. And if you don't, that's okay too, right? And so would you do that to other roles? Would you get a developer on board and say, hey, here's the deal. 
if we sell a lot of this, you know, if the, if the product sells, then I'll pay you. Of course not. But somehow they think that's kind of a way to do it. And so it's this kind of, it's not even that we're scared of what we don't understand. It's we're kind of, we look down on what we don't understand. And so in our circles a lot, you know, sales is this kind of a dirty four letter word in a lot of ways. But the reality is, is the people that get to that stage, you know, you're a good salesperson, right? You're a good marketer because you have to be, you had to be to get to where you got to. And almost every founder is like that. If you don't go out and raise a bunch of money where you solve problems by throwing money at people, then you're going to have to figure almost everything out yourself first. And that's the good thing at the beginning, all right? And then when you're, you know, at 100,000 a month or whatever, now you can start hiring people that are better and smarter than you in those individual roles. Because now you've got a framework of what's working and their job is to come in and, and boost it up. And essentially that's kind of what I do. I come in as a, like a fractional kind of VP of sales and say, hey, you can't afford 400, 500 grand a year that a full-time VP of sales would cost, but you need all this kind of institutional knowledge of how to do this stuff. So we'll come in and build it for you on smaller and we'll focus on things like, let's build an SDR team or, hey, let's you know build the, the RevOps kind of, let's optimize that and let's find these places to do that. And so, you know, sales is the most important function in the business. If we don't sell, the business goes out, period. I don't care if you are the most in the basement coder, hate sales people, hate everything about sales. I saw someone branding, I think it was Josh Pickford branding about the enterprise sales process the other day. And yeah, it's a pain in the ass, but the reality is it works because a lot of people do like that. Just because we don't like that to be sold that way doesn't mean other people don't. And so you really have to say, give it kind of the, the respect it deserves because it really is the important function. There's only really two things that Peter Drucker said that a company does, right? It creates intellectual property and it sells it, markets it. Those are the two things you do. You build something and you sell it. And so we're very focused on the building. We just have to get better at focusing on the selling as well. Right. Very cool. And, you know, I realize I think most people listening will know what SDR and BDR stands for, but, oh, well, I started doing it too, right? I read his email without doing that, but SDR is sales development rep and BDR is business development rep. Now that typically, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say what I understand those to be. And I'm curious if you have other thoughts, but in my head, they're the same thing. They're two names for the same thing. And it's someone who is in charge of doing outbound outreach to generate leads, warm-ish leads to hand to an account executive, which is just a salesperson. Is that relatively accurate? It is. And more importantly than that is, it's it's not a good model. So love Aaron Ross, great guy. I think he got a lot of, it was important, I think, in this in the software world to kind of start thinking of sales as like an operation. And a lot of stuff he says is good, but this over, you know, hyper-focused sales roles of a BDR, SDR, AE, customer success, all the rest of it is a model that worked really, really well at Salesforce a decade ago. And Salesforce was the first you know, kind of unicorn, right? It was, it was literally like one of, the, it was the most important first SaaS tool, right? So like you could do that. You could, and also they made, raised a lot of money so they could throw problems at it. And so what I've seen here as well is we've seen this kind of smaller businesses, bootstrap companies try to do that model as well. And I think it's a bad model. I don't generally recommend it for my clients. So what I suggest they do is, is get a little bit old school. And this actually helps as well, because now I'm going to hurt some people's feelings, because I'm telling you, if you think you're ready to hire a salesperson, you have to hire two. If you can't hire two, if you can't afford to hire two, you probably aren't ready for a salesperson yet. And here's why. There's only three outcomes that happen if you hire two salespeople. Either they both fail, right? And if so, it's pretty clear you've got a problem. It's a market problem, a product problem. There's an issue, right, that you have to fix. 
if they both succeed, obviously that's a win, right? Things are going well. If one succeeds and one fails, well, cool. That's probably a personal problem, right? It's, a, it's an HR issue, not a you know not a, like a product market fit kind of problem. So really, two of the three outcomes are good, right? You kind of understand. Actually, all three of them are good because you actually have really clear you have clarity of what's happening. If you only hire one, well, here's what's going to happen: you're going to blame that person. It might not be their fault. It might be your process isn't good. It might be that you don't have things set up correctly. It might be a bunch of things, and you're just never going to know. So you need both. But here's how you do that because we're not going to do the SDR, BDR and get super hyper-personalized like that. What we're going to do is say, hey, your job is to handle inbound leads and outbound leads, let's say, or you do outbound leads plus you know, handle the discovery calls, right? So how do we free up the founder's time? Because they're probably the ones driving the sales at this point. So how do we free their time up? Well, we kind of start to give more of the selling function to this team. And so that way you can, again, you don't want a single point of failure. It just makes a lot more sense. Because the other thing is to really do it right, you probably got to invest some money. You're going to need a decent CRM. You're going to need some tools. You're going to want to not cheap out on it. You're not going to want to figure out how to write a couple lines of code to, for Twilio and the rest of it. No, just go buy your call, right? Pay 30 bucks a month per person, right? So you're going to start thinking about that sales stack and start thinking about how you're going to put that together. And what I've seen is the people that kind of cheap out on that, I'm going to try to find one person and I'm going to try to make a commission only, is they're also not going to give them the tools to be successful. So not only do they not have the direction or the kind of the clear strategy and plan, they're also not, don't have the tools. And then inevitably that founder blames that rep and says, Hey, I hired a dud. You know, let's say I was a founder of a bootstrap B2B SaaS. We're at hundred K MRR. So just above, just into seven figures. I want to hire these two salespeople like you're telling me. And I don't have any of that sales stack you just said. Like, what would be the bare minimum? Not even bare minimum, but just when founders ask me, hey, I'm going to do email support. Yeah, I'm moving from Gmail. I'm always like, well, Help Scout's a really good tool. Or if you want something lighter weight, it's frontapp.com, right? I I just have this. And of course, you're going to use Stripe for payment. And, you know, I can recommend all this stuff. But I don't know much about the sales stuff. So, like, what is it? CRM and and a call recorder? Or what is it just one tool? Is it two? I mean, what would you recommend? And specifically, too, you know? There's 50 tools is the thing. So here's the way I look at it now. I'm actually putting together a document right now. Actually, I forgot about this. So I look at this as, you know, this is what I learned in my, in my started selling software in the late nineties. So I worked at McAfee when they bought, became network associates when they bought a couple companies and kind of put this suite approach. And they're one of the first kind of security companies to put this kind of suite of product approach together. And it's always funny because I went to Trend Micro, which was really good at the gateway scanning. And when you're smaller and you're good at one thing, you scream from the rooftops, best of breed, right? You want to be best of breed solution. That's what you want to do. When you're bigger and you actually acquire a bunch of things, it's all about sweet solutions, right? And so you, you think whatever kind of world you are is what's the best. But the answer is both of them can kind of work. So the first one is HubSpot. So I'm a big believer in HubSpot. You know, is it the best here? I mean, the best, no. But that Microsoft Office approach of having everything together is very important, right? Especially in those kind of earlier mid phases, like kind of getting from seven figures to eight. And so to me, there's a lot of value there. It's not cheap. So, you know, you're going to be spending significant money if you really go all in for the, the marketing and the service, which is the help desk and the sales. But the thing is, it's literally kind of, it handles almost everything. You counter appointments, calling, like everything. And it's all one single record, which is the true power of a CRM should be that it's a kind of a single pane view of your interactions with a customer. So that's the one path to go down. And then the other path that I say is it is Pipedrive is a pretty good cheaper alternative. They're doing a pretty good job now of having really good integrations. It's all about the integration network, right? So it's about their partner network because 
in the RevOps side, the tools that really matter are a CRM from kind of a sales pipeline engagement kind of manager point of view. You're going to need a pre-tool before that too. You're going to need some sort of lead generation tool, a Mailshake, Prospect.io, something like that. And then you're going to need a help desk tool. Generally, I've been talking about help scout a little bit, fresh desk, even though it actually is pretty good because what you want to start thinking about is the future of these tools as well. So how they interact great with everything else. So for example, Aircall is a voice over IP tool that I recommend to most people because it integrates with almost with the most other tools, with the most other CRMs, with the most other help desk, all the rest of it. And that matters if you want to kind of get that integrated understanding of, of what's happening with the customer. And so the other side would be, I'd go pipe drive, either help scout or fresh desk, and then marketing automation tool. I would have said drip in the old days, but I'm not sure that's the right solution anymore. So funny enough, I think these days who's doing a pretty good job is MailChimp again. Again, I don't care so much about all the landing pages and the rest of it. What matters in email automation is deliverability and integration with the other tools. And that's what you start thinking. And this is kind of how your head kind of starts changing. I was talking to someone who was doing about a million and a half dollars a year and was like beating their chest proud that they were basically doing everything in Gmail still. And I was like, cool. So you're saving a thousand bucks a month, 1500 bucks a month, whatever. But how much opportunity are you losing because of that? Like how much of your time and energy is being spent doing that? And he can't hand it, hand it off to someone else, right? So if, if you live in your inbox, it's where everything's happening, you're going to give your inbox to your new sales rep? Of course not, right? And so you kind of have to start thinking about how do you scale past where you currently are? And so I think that people overthink a lot of this stuff. Just pick one. I tell people, go, go get HubSpot CRM because it's free, right? Find out whether you like it or not. People, kind of, it's kind of a love or hate relationship a lot of times. And people that hate it, cool. Now go buy Pipedrive then. That's what we want to do, all right? And then integrate with the other tools you need to use. But understand that as you grow and as you go up that kind of value stack and as you kind of grow more and actually start growing the team, there's even more and more tools. And there's meeting tools. And then there's, you know, kind of now the big thing is around coaching and kind of so it's things like gong and chorus.ai which is essentially records the calls so then the sales managers and leaders can coach with it but also they're doing some really cool stuff where they're essentially recording anonymizing hundreds of thousands of hours of, of sales calls and figuring some really cool stuff out like something that i've been saying for a long time which is you should actually talk pricing on the first sales call not specifics, because you might not know, but at least a range. And so they just had a report come out recently. I can't remember the exact data, but it was a big data set. And essentially, the calls where the price was mentioned or discussed on the first call closed at like 40% versus like a 28% where it was waited till the second call. Because people get frustrated by that. They don't want to keep feel like you're dangling away from them. So there's some real cool stuff happening there about understanding what's really happening, the real buying behavior and what's going on. And as you get deeper into it, you'll have to have more and more of those tools. But to begin with, you want a, mail, a marketing automation or an email service provider of some sort. You want a CRM and you want a support service tool of some sort. And ideally, they all integrate very well together. Cool. So I want to kind of return back to the thing we started with, which was talking about the email sequence, like, hey, what should someone do in their sequence, right? And I think you named four emails that you would send in a sequence. But you also mentioned that you were putting one together for a client that had eight touch points. So what's that? Like, is that when you get more advanced? Or is that a specific thing where you would send more than four? Yeah, so it's actually from me. So this is, uh, so I'll, I can give specifics on this. So the most success you're going to have is, again, omnichannel, right? It's, it's multiple touches from multiple points. Also, I'm a big believer in hitting, same with leads, actually inbound leads too, is being super aggressive in your follow-up and your communications over a short period of time and then bailing, 
right? That's that's what I think. And so the campaign I've just set up today that I'll be starting to run next week is specifically, we'll talk about the pain points here. I'm putting together a list with my VAs and the rest of it to look for, again, I work with kind of B2B software and service companies around seven-ish fingers, like maybe just before, just after seven figures, they want to get to eight figures, right? So looking for the kind of companies that match that profile that actually are hiring any role, not generally not a salesperson. So they're looking for someone who doesn't have a salesperson or maybe they have one salesperson, but they're hiring someone else. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to them about all the mistakes the founders make in hiring. And so the first step on day one on Monday is actually I do a LinkedIn request. I'll try to you know do a connect with them on LinkedIn. And then day two, which is literally a Tuesday, the first email will go out. And so that first email is going to be just very clear. It's going to be see that you're hiring for a project manager or for whatever. It looks like not sure how many people you've hired in that role or if you ever hired sales before, but here's some mistakes that people make when they do that. And you know, mistake number one is not having the systems and processes in place to actually make sure they have success. And mistake number two is, is not having a clear plan of how to manage them once they're there. And these kind of, both these things end up doing what I call the 100,000 hour mistake. When you hire someone and they're around forever and you kind of, they're not quite working out, but you don't really pull the trigger firing them right away because you're not, you know, it's kind of your fault too. And so they stick around for a while. And next thing you know, you're, you know, $50,000, $60,000 into this thing, plus all the lost opportunity you've had. And so that's email one, right? So which of those is your biggest issue? That's email one. Then the next day, I'll give them a call. And then that's, so that's Wednesday. Then Friday, they'll get another email. And the Friday email will actually be me doing Hippo, which is kind of like a loom or one of these kind of screen recording type things, where I'll do that from their website. So I'll be looking at their website, you know, I'll have a little picture of me on the corner, and I'll just basically be saying the same thing. Hey, if your problem is not having a clear onboarding process and having a clear plan of how to, you know, the 30, 60, 90 goals, making sure they can hit the ground running, ramp up faster, all that kind of things, here is a free resource, which is kind of an ebook kind of thing to help them kind of figure out how to do that. And then I just, there's a call to action for them to do that. And so then the following week, they'll get an automated email, then they'll get an in-mail. I'll actually send them an in-mail if, they haven't, if I still haven't connected from then. And then one last email at the end. And then so that third email will be, hey, if your problem with hiring is you just don't have the skill set here, you don't know how to run it, you don't know how to hire salespeople. And hiring salespeople is difficult from the fact that if they're mediocre, they're probably good enough to BS you for three or four interviews. And also sales is one of the few kind of white collar, high paying, high performing jobs where your work ethic actually matters more than almost any other job. So if you're twice the salesperson I am, but I work three times as hard, I will sell more than you. That's just, it's math, right? And so it's absolutely real. And so what will happen a lot of times in sales, you'll see generally kind of in the kit people's last, in the late 20s, maybe early 30s, is there's kind of, they're, they're a decent salesperson. They've, they've learned how to do it. They can kind of, they can talk the game, do the rest of it. And then there's kind of this decision they have to make. And I don't think most people realize they're making a decision, but either they want to take that next step where they want to be stars, they'd be really, really good. Or they just, they're happy making hundred grand a year, right? Coasting. The vast majority of them are happy making hundred grand a year coasting. Right? And so that's what they do because they only take work. Because the difference between that person and the person who becomes a 300, 400, 500,000 hour year sales rep is work. It's effort. It's like actually how much time they put into it. Like thinking about how they're going to solve these problems off work. They're not punching a clock, that sort of thing. So really that work ethic matters a lot. And this is a, another problem that founders have, especially bootstrap ones in remote. And I, everyone I work with has remote teams is 
you have to set the example early about kind of a level of expected kind of effort is. And the best way to do that is, you know, in the old days, it being in the same office, but now it's about kind of being really clear about their onboarding. It's like that first week is very intense. You know, you basically spend a lot, almost all your time with them. It's very structured. And you're kind of sending these signals to them about, you know, hey, we're a structured, hardworking organization that you have all the tools you need to be successful, but this is kind of what we expect. But more importantly, in the recruiting process, what you have to do is you have to test them. You have to make sure they're doing it. So to the point that add some hurdles, add some things they've got to cross over to see how they deal with it. And so it's about kind of having a clear way to do it. Hiring engineers is different than hiring salespeople, which is different than hiring ops people, which is different than hiring marketers. Right? And so there's a specific way to do it. But the problem is people are bad at doing it. And then more importantly, they get them in the business and like, okay, cool, they'll figure it out. And they kind of leave it to their own devices. And then you're a month or two in and you're upset with they're not doing much work. And they're not probably. Engineers complain. Salespeople are lazy. That's Damien's axiom number one, right? But it makes sense, right? Engineers don't really complain, but they look for problems. That's what they do. They're problem solvers, right? They're looking for ways to, fi to fix things. Salespeople, their, their job is to do as much as they can as fast as they can. Cutting corners, moving fast, right? And that's what they do. But not focused correctly, those are both bad habits, right? They can get really bad, especially in sales, especially when they're remote. And so this goes back to, again, you're going to worry about saving a couple hundred bucks a month on, on your CRM or whatever tool, but you then, without that, you don't have this kind of clear understanding of what's really happening inside your business. And this is the challenge. People try to get sales off their plate very quickly. I tell them, if you hate sales, you're going to hate sales management even more, right? Because now you still have to be involved in the selling process, but you actually are you're one person removed. You have lost control, right? And so it's tough. It's a tough thing to figure out. And now your job is really coach. Right? Your job is really support. Right? It's really kind of helping this person do it. So again, it's not like you're all saying, oh, I so people now don't have to ever worry, worry about sales again. It's just now you worry about bigger things. You worry about kind of how do we put the process in place? How do we create tools so we can you know, double, triple, quadruple the size of the team over the next you know, two, three years? But it goes back to you have to have at least a working idea of what kind of those problems are. I don't care if you've never done cold email before. I can show you how to do the cold email. Right, it's easy. I mean, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's work. It's effort. And that's the big thing is effort. But you have to have the content right, right and the context to it right. The real challenge with outbound and why it is so enticing to hire people and why I think you should hire someone as soon as you can is the real work is in the data. So the real work is in the list building. It's what takes the longest. It's actually what makes the biggest difference. So for example, I could go into, well, you know, co-founder Ludefuse, you know, we've got a good tool. I can go in there and do a pretty dialed in persona, you know, the right title, the right size of the company, the right, you know, type of industry, all the rest of it. But that's the beginning stage. Right? I'm going to take that list. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my sales op, you know, admin or my VA to then go into LinkedIn and see how many employees are in each account. So I want them to be more than two employees, but less than 20. Like, so there's really the clearer you can get with that persona, the better you're going to be, which takes effort and time. And that's the problem. We're always looking for shortcuts. I want to push a button and have a thousand leads pop out. Then I want to plug it into Mailshake. And I just want to sit back and just wait for my 2% reply rate. And I'm a spreadsheet millionaire. That's the thing. I mean, and that's, I've taken away several things from this conversation. Hopefully listeners have as well, but that's a, one of the big things is this is a lot of work. This is not cold email in 2010 is different than it is today. It's just like SEO is different than it is. And Facebook ads back in 2012, when I was running for Hittail, they were way cheaper and way easier, you know, and this stuff takes work. There are always, of course, new marketing and lead gen approaches coming out. And those, they tend to be more uncertain and you have, there's not as much information out there and it's more of the wild west, but the tried and true things like cold email. Mail. They just 
they take time. And that's that's what you're saying. They take Yeah, time. they do. And there's always a market to sell. You know, the thing is, again, if you go back to salespeople are lazy, you will never go poor selling salespeople on the ideas of not doing the things they don't want to do. So like you said, who's the, I remember when I first got into this kind of entrepreneur game back in, you know, 2010, 2002, who's the big AdWords guy, Gary, whatever. He was like the big monster in AdWords at the time, whatever his name was. I know who you're talking about, but I forget his name too. Perry, Perry Marshall, Perry Marshall. Perry Marshall, yeah. So Perry Marshall, right, dominated, right? But he, like all people in that, in that world, it was getting hard. So when it gets hard to make money doing it, you start making money selling how to do it, right? And so he was doing that. And it's funny when I was doing it, I was like, at the time, I think 2011, like my cold email you, my business was kind of what I'm doing now, but I was working with Infusionsoft and a couple of things and kind of more, a little bit more down market. But I would send cold email. My cold email, it was one. It was a cadence of one email. It was kind of hard. The thing that back then was hard was actually getting the email addresses. So you had to do the, like, the reportive hack and all kind of good stuff. But you know, get the VA to do it. But what I would do is say, do that and then go to their website and find two things on their website. All right? And here's the list of seven things you look for. You know, There's not an opt-in on every, on every page or whatever. These kind of six or seven things. And then I'd send an email to them. And the email would be like, hey, Rob, I was checking out Hit Daily today. You know, I really enjoyed this, something specific about what I enjoyed. But I noticed on this page and this page, you don't have an email opt-in. That's probably killing your, you know, your kind of conversion rates on the on website. I've got three or four more ideas I'd like to share with you. Here's a link to book a time. That was literally my first email. And I had like an 11% booking rate, like people like 11, people booking meetings, right? And so great, that's awesome. Cause it was hard to do, but it's like every single marketing, like you said, Facebook, it's not just it gets more expensive. It's the more people that do it, the less effective it is, right? It just loses efficacy. That's just what happens. And on the cold emails, especially because everyone hates cold calling, I'm a crazy person. I really enjoy the game of it. Like I enjoy the gamesmanship of it. And I think because I've just had to learn back in the days when you, your job was to show up and here's this phone book, go. But 99.9% of people don't like it, even if they say they do. And so they don't want to do it. And so they go to cold email because it's this kind of, I'm behind a computer screen. I feel safe. I don't have to do anything. And this happens over and over again. You know, this is the social selling nonsense, right? So do I believe you should have a good social profile? Yes. Do I think there's a lot of value in being on LinkedIn and helping people and kind of showing that you have chops? And like I said, absolutely. Does it replace everything else? Of course it doesn't. And so this idea of some magical automated, easy, stress-free way of generating millions of dollars of revenue for your business doesn't exist. And it's, it's just, again, it's just funny that in most places we, we expect that. And I think that we get so, even in our community, even our bootstrap community, we still get caught up in the success stories. So how long was Drip? How, how long did you have Drip before you sold it? It was from launch until sale, it was three and a half, I think. It's pretty quick. Fast, very fast, right? I mean, even five is very fast, really, right? So you look at the, the history of business. I mean, I was listening to that shoe dog, the Phil Knight story, which is great. Like for 13 years, he was near bankruptcy, which is extreme, obviously, but it happens. You know, we, we look at the base camp guys, you know, whether we like the way they're acting these days or not, but, you know, we like look at their business as a model for a lot of us. And that's great. That business is like 20 years old now. Like it's crazy how old these businesses are. And they you know, it took them seven or eight years to really make money, money, right? And they were first, they were first movers and all this kind of other stuff. So it takes time. Now, of course, then we get the the Wonderkins, you know, the, the Travises of the world that go out there and, and nail it right away and, and, and good for them. But that is very much not the norm. And so we have the kind of some really weird size expectation on this stuff. And I see this a lot with prospecting in sales is, well, hey, you know, I've been doing it for three weeks yet and I'm not rich. So, okay. Yep. You're right. You're not because it's, it's a muscle. It's going to the gym. You can't go to the gym, you know, for four hours, one time a month, right? You got to go 30 minutes every day, right? And it's the same thing with kind of prospecting. And I think that's the biggest thing is just the greatest salespeople that I work with 
are generally ex-engineers or ex-process-oriented people, operations people or whatever, because sales is a process and it's problem solving at its best. And this cliche of the fast-talking, back-slapping salesperson that I know that I naturally fall into a little bit is actually incorrect for who actually who buys, especially in the technology world. In my world, I have to tone it down a little bit when I'm talking to people because I don't want to feel like that kind of pushy kind of salesperson. My job is to be problem solver. That's what my job is in, in selling. And so that's cool. So most people, that, most entrepreneurs I know, that's the kick they get. It's the problem solving the problem, right? Solving the product problems, solving the market problem, solving, you know, it's, it's, we like problems. We like puzzles. That's what we like. And so if we start thinking of sales as just that same way you got a product puzzle or a marketing puzzle or whatever, it's the same thing. You just got to figure out what piece goes where and when. The fun part is, like a lot of things, it's constantly changing. So what worked 18 months ago doesn't work anymore. And especially that's why, again, I think this is, you know, the good old Warren Buffett, Zig whenever Zag kind of thing. Like right now, I'm just seeing so much success with cold calling because people are answering their phones. Right? People are actually home. People are working from home. They're bored. They're answering their phones. You know, I got a client who sells lead data to solar companies, and their connect rate has essentially almost tripled you know, since the since coronavirus came out because, again, people are home taking the phone calls. But no one is out there beating that drum because no one wants to cold call. Right? No one wants to do it. But you know, sometimes being an entrepreneur is put on your big girl, big boy pants and doing the stuff you don't want to do right? because it's what has to happen. Damien Thompson, sir, we're at time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If folks want to follow you on Twitter, you are Damien Thompson and vpsales.co is your current project, what you're working on. Yeah, so Damien, so D-A-M-I-A-N at vpsales.co. Got it. They want to reach out and get in touch. Thanks again to Damien for joining me on the show today. If you have a question for me or a future guest, please email it to questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll see you next Tuesday.